few years after I graduated elementary school, I heard that his daughter got engaged to a Chashu Rebacher, Yosef Weiner. And since then, Rabbi Yosef has uh, grown in his Chashivas in Taira, in Yerushalayim, his Midas Taira, and has become really a, a great Mashriya in Pal Yisrael. I must express a personal Akarat Atayif to Rabbi Yosef. He, he, through his CDs, has accompanied me on many a trip to the mountains, to New York, and it's uh, the biggest compliment to him that when my kids are deciding what CDs to listen to, and we forgot Baruch Levine's in the house, so we, they, uh, they say that they want to listen to Rabbi Yosef Weiner. And the reason is very simple, because he's clear, he's interesting, he's funny, everyone can understand him, and there's only so much you can listen to Zadie Krohn. <laughs> so, so without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Rabbi Yosef Weiner to give us this. I didn't know about that uh, deep connection. I'd like to uh, thank the uh, Katz Mishpacha just had the exclusive meeting both halves one in the kitchen, one in the hallway and uh, anybody who can take time and effort in the middle of a season like this to make a spread like this and to have an oilum come and occupy the house has to be holding in a madrega in terms of their chashiva satera and their willingness and their achrayas to be marbitz terah so they should uh, be able to continue to do that for many, many years. They should make it a family tradition, and their children and grandchildren should pick up the same and continue to be Marbet's Torah and the Ruchnius and Engashmius, I mean, it's supporting Torah, and it's not, of course, Limanah Torah and Abbas's Torah itself. Um, also, uh, it's always wonderful to um, see many people we haven't seen in a while. And uh, last time I was in Waterbury speaking, so the kind of was it was during the summer, so I only saw half of you. So uh, now it's after the summer, and I uh, constantly amaze the chashivas of the community and of the uh, the yeshiva, and uh, chashivas of saying the rashiva, the rashkaylo, the rabbanim, and uh, I hope that uh, whatever words we can express and whatever ideas we can discuss in the next uh, half hour, forty-five minutes. And if anybody's listening, hopefully it'll have an effect on some others as well. Uh, I mentioned the uh, CDs before, so sometimes when I speak, I bring a whole array of them, but I'm coming to somebody's house, not to a uh, social hall. But Rabbi Ginsburg, who I owe tremendous sakars to tell because he's the one who called me a week and a half ago, and somehow he must have a phenomenal member. He remembered from three years ago that I gave him a rain check. <laughs> so uh, I had not remembered but he assured me that it was me he was talking to <laughs> and that I indeed gave him a rain check and um, Rabbi Ginsburg and I go back many 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 years as years of many as both of us are alive basically and uh, when he tells me that he had a rain check and he made good on it because it was pouring all the way here and um, he asked uh, totally lishma, and therefore the answer had to be yes. And I'm um, always happy when I finally get here. So thank you, Rabbi Ginsburg, for uh, giving me the opportunity. Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vakam. If you all know the Pasuk. Din Shuva is about not always winning, but how to know what to do when you fall. So, we know from the Pesach that it's inevitable that people will fall. And the key in life is to figure out a strategy for the minute after, or the day after. And that's the key to a tzaddik tzatzlocha. He'll fall once, twice, three times, seven times. Mitzvah Petterberger says that seven times is connected to the seven, seven shamas of the Eight Sahara, the different aspects of the Eight Sahara. 
And the Russia bumps into the first one raw, which is one of the shamus of the Eight Sahara, and he's finished already. And we have to figure out a Mahalach. Tzadik falls seven times. It doesn't mean he falls, he gets up, and he goes right there without thinking about it. The trick is to go right there right away so you don't get bogged down and depressed. Then we have to figure out what went wrong, how did I get myself into this matzav, and how do I avoid it next time. It's an important plan we're trying to figure out, everybody's making their list now for this coming Shabbos, this coming Yom Kippur. The list on one side is the Averis, okay, you have to be doing, you have to spell out the Averis. But the real list has to be, how did I get myself into the Matzah in the first place, and what protections can I put up that the Matzah not present itself either at all or as much? Rabbi Ginsburg and I spoke three or four times today, and... Um, there's something that, and I'm not going to give a whole drush on this, because instead of, I only have 45 minutes, and this would take me two hours, instead of bringing the drosha that I gave three or four years ago, I think it was a Shabbat Shuvah drosha, on how to stay out of a matzah of Nisayan, I just brought the CD instead. And we charge for this CD. The fee is that if you take one, you have to give it over to somebody else after you finish listening to it, and you have to charge them the same. I can make these Baruch Hashem as quickly as I'm giving them out. I give about 15,000 of them already. And I'm almost out of them. As a matter of fact, I'm to call me again. I asked if I could bring some more for the Baruch Hashem. I don't know how much we'll have left over. Whatever we have is theirs. You have full permission. This is copyrighted. That means if you take it, you must make many copies. You must make thousands of copies. Uh, I mentioned, I don't know if it was on this year, but probably this year afterwards. After I gave this year, a Balabas came over to me and said that... Uh, he didn't know it was so bad. He didn't know that the internet media problems were so pervasive. He didn't realize what the sakhan is, and we have to let everybody know. I said, I just did. Gave a shear in front of a few hundred people. So he said, no, no, we've got to do much better than that. He says, we have to make copies of the shear, and we've got to drop it from a helicopter. <laughs> so I said, how many? He says, at least a million. How many Jews are there in America, in New York area? So I said, well, why don't we start with making about 5,000, and guess who's sponsoring it? And he wrote me out a check. And he made the first 5,000, then we made subsequent runs. I'm about to run out, that's why I couldn't bring any more. I have one box left. Uh, it's a Chad Kaddish. What amazes me is every time it's spoken about, I speak about the topic of Chash of audiences. And it's like, it's a new sugya like nobody ever heard about it before. It's amazing. It's like, Tarmi Sinai is just coming down now from the mountain. And I asked them, I said, we've had about 10 Asifas about this in the Tri-State area. Well, one they missed and the other one heard was uh, full of some exaggerations. Let me tell you something. Anybody who speaks about it is underreporting the problem. They just can't faithfully report the problem because it's too depressing. And the good news is we can do something about it. means that if you've fallen in already, if you know somebody who has, we have Baruch Hashem, the same technology that's corrupting everything is here to possibly save the day. If you don't have it, you don't need it, get rid of it. But uh, most of us have it. And they're divided into two groups, those who admit they do and those who don't. But everybody came out, everybody has it. And if they don't have it in their computer, they have it in their Blackberry, they have it in their iPhone. Technology is catching up. And the theme of this, but please listen, it's an hour here. The theme of this is, is that it's absolutely not shaykh, reckless, and an extreme pashia. So anybody who calls themselves a benter, to have anything that's receiving data in the form of internet, texting, whatever the case may be, without a heavy filter that works, and no filter is perfect, the filter will knock out 90% of it, 80% of it, and then have an accountability program where there's an email going to somebody who you have a little bush in front of, a little year of bus of a dumb, your Rebbe, your Rosh Hashiva, your Rav, whoever the case may be, I'm only the default on here. Somebody never doesn't have a Rav, they have bigger problems, and they have nobody to send it to, or their Rav Baruch Hashem doesn't have email, and you can send it to me. I get hundreds of reports every morning from all across the country. Most of them are good, and sometimes I have to pick up the phone and scream at people. In a nice way, of course. And after they have the Byzantines, usually the report remains very good for at least a year or two. It's one without the other doesn't work. Without the filter, you don't have the Suomera, and without the accountability, you'll find a way around the filter. Somebody will find a way around the filter. That's what this is about. It comes with a list inside. 
So you can't complain. I don't know what to do. I gave Rabbi Ginsburg an updated number of people you can call to the technology group run by Hashem Balabatin. We'll give you ATIS for your iPhone, your Android, your, your Blackberry, and every type of computer, and Mac, and Windows, and whatever you need to know. And if you're going to make one Kabbalah before Shoshana, I have people who were absolutely swayed when I spoke about it. I spoke about it many times in many different communities. And I meet these people, and they say they were absolutely swayed, and they're going to get to it one of these years. That means I almost swayed them. That means I swayed them for the moment, and then they went home, and then the Yetzirah made sure their life got busy. You can't hide behind falling seven times and picking yourself up again if you fall into the same exact trap and you don't build any gedarim. That's true in Estaklis Assessor. That's true in Lashon Hara. That's true in any environment you put yourself in where you keep going back to the Yetzirah instead of having the Yetzirah coming to look for you. And the first basis of any tshuva is making sure the walls are up. And if Baruch Hashem, all the Chashuva people in this room never had a problem, uh, if you don't think your kids did have a problem or will have a problem, or your grandchildren or your friends or your Chavusa or your Tamidim, then you're not living in this world. And um, I'm sure you've heard of these things before. But hopefully when you listen to this, and you know, your wife will listen to it and your children can listen to it also. The teenagers can listen to it and they should. It's something that is, some have compared it to the damage Haskalah did. It's more dangerous. Because Haskalah, if a guy went off the derech and he ultimately dropped everything, so he went completely off, then you realize, you, look, you looked at the guy, you could tell he's off the derech. Here you can uh, look very firm and have the same lavush and be sending your kids to the best yeshivas and it could be Rahmanullah Islam riding from the core. And often no one finds out till it's too late. If it's a family member, if it's a child, if it's a harusa, and the good news is there's always tshuva, but it's very hard to pull people out. The Surame Ra is a much better solution. So again, you listen to that at your uh, the leisure. Hopefully, in the next few days, if you have any questions, you can always contact me. Let me begin with a very, I think it's a very fascinating pick of the Rebbe You might remember this. I said this over five years ago. Uh, in camp. I don't know if you do remember, you don't remember it, but I hold it's, uh, it's good for Bakram and it's even more powerful for uh, people who are uh, post Yeshiva years. Peter Babaleza says that there's a background that we know part of which from the Gemara, but this, uh, this Peter Babaleza gives a very interesting angle, a background to the biography of Reish Lakish. We know that Reish Lokish, in his former life, before becoming a Hila Gamer, so we know that he was a gangster. One sheet in Texas, he's a gladiator. I don't know which one's uh, worse, but this uh, pick of the leather goes with the, uh, with the gangster background. And uh, the Medrashir says, You want to understand how powerful, how much of a change a person can actually make in their life. Look at the story of Shimon Melakish. Shehayahu Ushnei Reyav. He had a gang, him and his two friends. Gazlan v'chainsin kol ha'sheyavr aleyam aderech. They had a very lucrative business. They uh, would go to the crossroads and attack anybody who came by and walk away with his money. And then they had a hideout in the mountains and uh, that's where they stored all the, uh, all the cash. And it was going very well. One day, one day he decided, so not a very nice form of panasa for a nice Jewish boy, and he left. And he his life. He sat and learned. It was Isaac and Chesed. He never went back to his ways or mashma to his friends. Uh, instructive already. Why don't you go back and get Makar of them? The answer is, is that uh, he probably understood that to be Makar of his close buddies he grew up with was more of a danger to him than a Tehillah to them. That's just guesswork on my part, but that's uh, important. I often receive inquiries from Bochum who are very Mishma, very worried about their friends after they already moved up a few Madragas and they want to know, you know, how do they go back and get them? got to speak to your Rosh Hashivas and your Rebbeim about that. That's a very dangerous proposition. 
And uh, often adults have that issue also. And they finally put themselves in a different schnitt and they're up to different things now and they want to bring their friends and we're going to speak about that tonight. And I'm going to encourage it. But understand from this medrash that if there is any danger to your neshama, chayach ha-kedmin. I'm going to balance that out later on. So especially if you didn't go back. Lo shovel, mice of Sounds like you never saw them again either. But it's fast at Shavos and of course the Shavos was accepted. Akkad is a story we know. Then the Pekad of Lezer adds here a piece of information that's seemingly extraneous. The Yom Shabbos, the day the Rishlokas died, many, many decades later, Meser Shnei Reyev HaShedidin Baharim. His two friends died that very day. What an interesting coincidence. Nesli Reyev Shemim Malachish Cherek HaChayim The Medrash contrasts where the Neshambas went. So Rishlokas and Neshambas went up to Elam Habo, went up to Gan Eden. Roshnei Reya Bishol Tachtias and his two friends went to Gehenim. What exactly is the uh, purpose of knowing that all three former gang members had the same Yotzite? What exactly? So we should have, we should celebrate Roshlokosh's Yotzite and we have Ayakech, we should have them in mind to rescue them from Gehenim. What exactly is the message here? So someone suggests, I think is a very um, powerful lesson and a wake-up call because it takes away our basic excuse in life. The number one turrets that you will hear from a bacher, an older bacher, a younger man, a balabas, on why he's not learning more, why he's not steiging more, why he's not more into his ruchnius, is, this is the answer I've received many times over, they say that I remember when I was in 8th grade and I was in 12th grade and I was first and second year best measures with my chaverim and I remember that Chaim was Taka, a brilliant young man and he was always into it and now I see he's a shiva, he's a rav, he's a boss, he made something of himself and I'm not surprised. And I remember that Yanka was also very good and uh, Shimon came from a family of Miyuchosim and he, had, and he just goes through the entire class to explain why everybody else succeeded. And he says about himself, well me, I never had a good head. I can never sit very long before the ages of ADHD and all the other Russian papers. So whatever he had, whatever they call him now, that's what I had. And um, my family wasn't very chashev. I didn't have schos office. He gives a long list of excuses. And basically his answer is that they had it and I don't. And that's why I really can't learn much. I'll sit through a drasha on Shabbos and maybe a share once a week if I can't get out of it. But in terms of serious Adharma, serious Sharem, it's obviously not for me, and I proved it already. And I explained to you why they succeeded. What this Medrash is telling us is that they all died on the same day to be Maramid, that they all had the same life expectancy, and they had the same talents and same kachas, and they had a similar script. Rhinobevi, they were very good friends. They, were, they had similar personalities. They had similar Matthias. And they stayed together for many, many years, and then they separated, but the time ran out for all three of them at the same time. To show us what? Why did Rishlokas succeed and the other two did not? So again, we would say Rishlokas was obviously born brilliant, and obviously he had this list, and that's chus, and that's why he made it, and they didn't. And Pekadel Blazer begs to differ. They had the same lifespan, they died on the same day, they lived the same life in their upbringing, they had the same natias to whether it be violence or excitement, whatever the case may be. Rishlokas became an Amira and they went to get, they went to Gehenna. So how'd that happen? So what's the difference? The difference is Rishlokas just thought about life more and he applied himself. Had nothing to do with his innate intelligence, it had nothing to do with Schosavis, it had nothing to do with all the things that we blame it on that we're lacking. And I'll never forget I was in the um Mangala colony many years ago, about ten years ago. I came out of Shakras. I was learning a little after Shacharis. I came out maybe 20 minutes after Shacharis. And as I walked out, there were two guys sitting, you know, those tables of Bungalow calling the benches with the wood there and the, the table there. The two guys sitting. I walked by, they're sitting in front of a chess game. And I walked by and they were very into it. I walked by and I said, good morning. I didn't even get a response. There were two guys sitting here like this. Okay, managed to be a, a masmid in chess as though you want to win. So it's a Sunday morning. I don't know, they work hard all week. I went to learn with somebody. I came back about two hours later. I walked by. They were in the same exact position. I looked at it. Not too many pieces moved. <laughs> and they were still sitting there like this. I'm staring at them, staring at them. The world doesn't exist. And I'm staring at them. And I said, okay, very interesting. Later on that night, 
I stopped one of the guys, one of the two players. I said, how did it go? Did you win? So he said, it happened to be I did. How did you know we were playing? I, said, I walked by twice. I said, can I ask you a question? Said, how did you, I didn't really know the guy so well. I said, how did you do in Yeshiva? Like, were you a masmid? I mean, incredible power of concentration. He says, how did you do that? You were like concentrating for two hours. He said, two hours? I wish it was two hours. He said, we went on till almost, almost hotzeis. So I said, well, tell me your background. He says, let me tell you about my yeshiva days. Says, I was uh, probably the lowest in the class. Never sat for more than 15 minutes at a shot. Convinced myself I couldn't follow shir, couldn't chaz a shir, couldn't prepare for shir. And I convinced myself by 11th grade that this wasn't happening and um, learning is for people who know how to sit. And obviously, um, all these Rashi Tavis plus, and it's not for me. And of course, I asked him, so how'd you learn how to sit and stare and think for four hours, five hours at a shot of a chess game? And he said, I'll tell you what happened. After I convinced myself that learning wasn't for me, I left yeshiva. I was in 12th grade. I was the first year best measure, sort of a little bit for 15 minutes at a shot. <coughs> and then I stayed another year. I got to get a shidduch. But it was basically all over. I went out to work. I was 19. And he said, I became a day trader. He says, you know what happened the first week of day trading? I lost a lot of money, all of mine and somebody else's also. And you know why? Because I couldn't sit still and I couldn't watch the screen. And if you blink, you can lose a lot of money. So you know what? I realized if I don't start concentrating, I'm not going to make a panasa. And I taught myself how to concentrate and I taught myself that from 9.30 to 4 every day, I don't get out of my seat and I don't blink and I don't look away from the screen. And if anybody calls, I don't take the call. And you know what? It's 10 years later, and I made a lot of money. And he said, then I realized about midway through this new career he had that he had been lying to himself the whole time. Is, uh, he convinced himself he couldn't learn because he couldn't sit. All of a sudden, he's sitting for seven, eight hours straight. And then he realized it's all a lie, and it's not true. And you sit what you want to sit for. And you concentrate what you want to concentrate for. And if you understand the value of something... So you force yourself to concentrate. And if your life depends on it, you force yourself to concentrate. Such a powerful, as a very normal guy who today is learning many hours a day. And he said, if you would ask him on the yeshiva, I would have laughed in your face. Convinced himself he couldn't do it. And he looked at everybody else. He says, he says this, this guy knows he's going to be something good. He's going to be a big tabachacham. It's not for me. So Meshlokish and his friends were the same ilk. Meshlokish made it and they didn't only because Meshlokish realized that's important enough to concentrate on. <coughs> this is true in terms of the chesed we do with the others and the encouragement we give. Many, uh, you're all young parents here in the room. <coughs> Why not? How do you motivate the kids? So before you motivate the kids, you got to know how to motivate yourself. I'm looking at a room of very motivated people. I know that because it's raining out and you came to hear a Joshua. So obviously you're motivated. The question is how to raise the motivation. How to increase it. I had another... All the mices I tell are true, by the way. I have enough... Uh, when I run out of them, I stop making things up. But most of them... Uh, once you've heard tonight happened and they happened uh, with me either as an eyewitness or an active participant... I had a mice, uh, I was in third year based measures, and they asked me to learn with a ninth grader from Yeshiva. I'm showing in town here, in the Yeshiva, they uh, have the older Bacham learn. So they gave me this ninth grader. Boy, what a, what a tashit. I still remember, he walked in the first day, he said, uh, Rabbi, I have a big test tomorrow, and I hope he can cause this in 10 minutes, because I really got to go. Like, the, like, what's the person with the Rabbi Kivega wants to cause it in 10 minutes? So if he had learned it the first time, it would have been good, but he didn't want to cause it, he wanted to learn it. So after about eight minutes, I saw that he wasn't with the program at all. And as Mazel would have it, I had in my wallet, I never carried around cash like that, I had in my wallet a $100 bill. I had the sign so I took it out of my wallet. I said, you see this bill? All of a sudden, his eyes opened. His eyes opened. They said, yeah. I said, I'm putting it on the table. If you learn stock for the next hour, this is yours. So he looked at me, looked at the bill, looked at me, looked at the bill. He said, really? I said, I kid you not. I said, this is yours, but it's got to be stock, uninterrupted, no phone calls, no bathroom, nothing. Like I lit a torch under him. I know I was learning the kids already for a couple of months. 
He landed a brand like I never saw. After an hour, I looked at my watch, time was up, but I wasn't going to stop him. Went on to now in 10 minutes, now 15 minutes, now 20 minutes. And we got through all the material, and I said, you know, I don't want to stop a good thing, but you're free to go now. And um, he said, no, let's go on a little bit. I want to finish this last piece. We'll another 10 minutes. But I said, I really think you're fine. You think of all that. It's yours. You earned this. Take it. He gets up without the $100 bill, much to my relief. <laughs> uh, it was a sincere offer. And uh, I said, really, take it. He said, Rebbe, you taught me something. I, I was mamish living a life of lies. I convinced myself that this had learning, this whole learning business had no shaykhs to me whatsoever, just like the chess player. And he said, all of a sudden I see for $100, I can do it very well. He's a Rebbe in yeshiva today. I bump into him every uh, five years or so. And every time he sees me, he reminds me about the $100. I'm waiting for him to offer it back, but he hasn't. Uh, I, I ended up giving it to him, and I insisted he take it, because I wanted him to understand the deal's a deal. <coughs> we have to know that the shaykhid is also for a dayan to take. For everybody else, it's mutter, it's a mitzvah, and it's a khiv. Let me be clear, please don't misquote that in the wrong context. It's underutilized, in my opinion. So many parents say, I got bribe, but where's Torah Lishma? Don't worry about Torah Lishma. When they're 70, you'll get the Torah Lishma, the kids will get Torah Lishma. You have no idea how, if you've never tried it, how effective this is in terms of just showing people, motivate them for the hour, but show them what they're capable of. And show yourself what you're capable of. And there's a reason why Hakash Baruch Hu has the world go around with money. And with Nash, and with the senses like this, and the Machanchem room, this is Pashid. What people don't realize is they think it doesn't pass. I'm 30 years old and 35 years old, so I'm going to bribe myself. I'm going to tell my wife to bribe me. That doesn't make any sense. The answer is yes. It works with kids, with little children in small pants, and it works with adults in larger pants. It works. And uh, since I learned these lessons with people that I was working with, I use it all the time. It's a very powerful tool. You want to know, you're trying to do truth, you're trying to elongate your sadarim. You try to take an hour and make it an hour and 20 minutes. You try to take one share or two share and make them two share. So you have to know what works in terms of your incentive. You have to know what works in terms of checking in with Rabbeim that again, just like the internet, you have a little bit of busha to have people come to me, the strangest thing, for career counseling and sometimes business advice. Okay, I, it, it only happens because they're asking a shayla about rivers. There's not, so we talk about the deal. Okay. So there are a lot of interesting deals going on. So I, I asked them, I said, I'm very happy to talk to you about your business and about the river shilas and about the Geneva shilas and all that. Why is it you don't come to me to work out your schedule? Why is it that I haven't seen a spreadsheet of the hours of your day to help you point out, to help point out where you can shave off another 20 minutes and where you can hop another half hour? I spoke about this in the shul over Rosh Hashanah. And five Balabatim already came to me and said they're taking off on Friday completely because they realize if they squeeze everything at the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they can learn an entire Seder Friday morning. So I said, where were, where were you before I told them? I said, it's Gavaldic. Where were you before? And the answer is you never worked it out on paper. If you are going to learn one thing from Yeshiva, which you should have learned from Yerabeim, again, please don't quote this out of context either, is how to be a good Ganav. If you don't learn how to cut corners in terms of your time and your schedule, then you're never going to build on what you have. And everybody here, I'm sure, has this time. Everybody has a chavuz. Everybody's learning. Truva is the guy's truva is crying for all, the entire Yom Kippur, wasting 20 minutes. Okay, we're not holding that. But the truva we're talking about is how do we take what we have and grow it, and the truva for why we didn't grow it until now. And if you sit down with pen and paper, you'll be amazed what you could do with your schedule. People go to work, I live in Muncie, so people, everybody's traveling into Manhattan. So it's, it's a crime not to go with a CD in the car, especially one of my CDs. Right, it's a crime. It doesn't make a difference whose CD it is. Go with something on the, in, in the CD in the tech deck. So you say, okay, I'm on the, I'm on the bus. So, so, so you're diving in the bus, and then uh, squeeze out on the five, ten minutes. You're at lunch. What do you do at lunch? I catch up on the news. I guarantee anybody walking around with a Blackberry caught up on the news seven times over already on the way to work. So he's, he's reading the commentaries and the commentaries already. He's going, Mama's being in. So take lunch. You have a sandwich. Take it. Open a safer. Learn for five, ten minutes. These minutes add up, and you'd be amazed what you could do. And if you don't do it now, your dream, every Ben Terry has a dream that they're going to make enough money to retire to first learn another two hours, another half a day, and then a day, and they're going to retire Legamri. If you don't 
exercise now and stay in shape. You can't just retire and learn an entire day. Rabbi Ginsburg, you know that there's a shining example of that from Muncie, New York. My father was one of four carpels going from Muncie into Phillip Brothers. Most of you are too young to know what that is. Rabbi Kaplan, maybe you remember. Uh, four carpels going into Muncie. There were three carpels that you were allowed to talk, and there was my father's carpel. It was an hour and ten minutes into the city. My father gave shear for an hour. That five minutes, Musa Seder mandated Shmir Salashim. And the last five minutes as they were pulling in, they opened up CVS for the market open. And if you wanted to talk more than five seconds of Sikha Bataili, you were invited to the other carpels. If you do that for 25 years, you learn an hour there, an hour back, and then you get home, you learn another two and a half hours. Then you can think about being in shape enough to have the cheshek to learn five, six, seven, eight hours a day when you have the ability to do so. Without that, you don't just turn it on that people think at, at 65, I'm going to turn it on, I'm just going to say, it doesn't work that way. And that's true in any area of Ruchnius. You have to exercise the muscles. Truth is the same thing. Do we know we're going to do something next year that's going to violate our promises that we're making this Yom Kippur? Of course. So why do we do Truva if you have the same thing? The answer is, we hope the graph goes up. And the second answer is that you have to practice and you have to flex their muscles. <laughs> Mashuda South Wolfsburg said this uh, word about uh, eight years ago. I don't know if you remember. Probably said it in your time also. My son-in-law just, just mentioned it to me. But it's a, it's, a great, uh, it's a great concept that even for the things you think you don't have shaykhs to, if you practice the tshuva mode, it'll become more real that when you're ready to reach that madrega, it'll kick in. And if you don't practice this and you don't stretch it to the limits, it's not going to go. <coughs> What you have to do, especially for children, there's a group of parents of Machanchem once standing before the Chaznish. And the Chaznish said, this is mamish prophetic, Chaznish said this as late as the early 50s, couldn't be later than that. Late 30s, early 50s. Chaznish said that nowadays, even though all the Muslims from talk about uh, being Bareach men are covered, nowadays the Mahaloch is, you have to give every bocher, every child who wakes up, you have to give them a tablespoon of covered. So when he said that, the assembled started chuckling. And the Chazni said, you're laughing? I guarantee you, in another generation or two, it'll have to be by the bottle, not by the tablespoon. And now we're living three, four generations, we need a skid load, 18 wheelers. Why is that? There are many sociological and emotional reasons. It's irrelevant. The only way to do this is to convince ourselves and our children and our chaverim that we can do this and it has nothing to do with your IQ and it has nothing to do with the amount of time you have. It's the amount of time you make and it's the effort you put in. And this is crucial to anybody's learning career. And it doesn't make a difference whether you happen to be working on the side. Everybody in this room is an extension of either this yeshiva or whatever yeshiva they're coming from. And they're supposed to be acting like B'nai Torah who are temporarily taking a few hours off to learn. When I came to the shul in Muncie, I made the same announcement I did when I was near Gudin Flapush. I told them, I said, I just want to make one thing clear. The main purpose of a shul is to learn. It's a base medrash. We happen to daven here. It's a very nice, nice place to daven. It's a place to do chesed also, and it's a nice kehillah. A community revolves around a yeshiva. Tonight's occasion, a kehillah. That's the center. And the shul. Those are, but they're all focusing on the same thing. Learning, learning, and learning. For the men, that's all it is. And for the women, that's, we know that's their ticket. Tell them, hop, encouraging their husbands. And if you think that there's any other way to grow outside of the context of first honing your skills and learning and growing in your hasmada, you're mistaken. You can grow and write a bigger check for Stockholm. But that has to be a chilek of your understanding of Hashiva Satera and what chesed is and where it fits in, in to the, to the mahalach of mitzvahs. You can increase your midas. That's also a prerequisite to your status as a venterah. And the Chazmish said that the only way to do that is to convince yourself and to convince your chaverim and your children that they're quite capable of doing it. Uh, Pam brings down uh, a very interesting word from the Ab Basin of Kovna, who was the son of Rabbi Yitzhak Ochanan. Very interesting idea. He quotes the famous Gemara Numa, 
So that's the question. We need two makaras for. They both matara. What does the mikvah represent? What does the meipara represent? He says there are two ways to do tshuva. For the yechide skula, for the tzaddikim, they're able to go into the mikvah, and the idea of a mikvah you have to be resha, rubo in it, a kula in it, and one pinky sticking out it doesn't work. So you can make a complete change, go in and come out a different person. A complete change, complete metamorphosis. That's for bali madrega. Most people aren't up to that. So I figure, what am I going to do? I can't get myself completely in the mode that I'm changing everything. It's not shaykh. So, the Gemara says, there's a second way to become tahar. Not the mikvah we have to be completely in, but then by Zrikas Mechatis, if they sprinkle it and any drop of water hits any part of the body, even your finger, you're tahar. So, Bam says that, he quotes, that the concept for us, Benanim, is that all you have to do is come into Yom Kippur with a few solid Kabbalahs and then the entire process will spread to the entire body. So if we're thinking practical, just to summarize what we have thus far, and I want to go on to two more points, what can we do concrete in the next few days before Yom Kippur? Well, make sure that uh, your Blackberries, iPhones, and Internet are secured with filters and accountability programs. That's relatively easy. Make sure that you have a concrete plan that you're instituting right now to make your sadarm longer. Increase the chavusa, make the chavusa shaft 15 minutes longer. Don't jump for 20 hours longer. Make something longer. But make it clear on paper that last week it was uh, five a week and next, this week it's six a week. And very important, and our own siyat deshmaya, make sure you pull at least one chavar, one neighbor, one fellow maspalo, one, one person you sit next to in yeshiva, the kailah, wherever it is, make sure you pull them in to come along for the ride. Besides getting his chusim as well, so you can do it shalolishma, but once he believes that it's the in thing to do, and he can do it, and you believe in him, and you show him how geshmak it is, then he'll come along. Peer pressure, I, uh, the mechilas kfoy, the mechamchem in the room, and the rabbonim, I often tell parents that we like to believe the greatest influence on children is either the parents or the rabbam or the rabbonim. It's none of the above. It's their friends. So the most powerful people in the room are the people, the hush of a rank and file, if I can use the expression, who know some neighbor here in Waterbury, they know some friend that is not learning as much as they can or as well as they can. It's your chiv, not the rab, not the Rosh Hashiva. It's primarily your chiv, as you can have the greatest effect, to make sure you invite them for one extra seder. It could be after Shachas for 10 minutes. It could be on a Lel Shabbos for 20 minutes. I'll mention my father again because he knows what I'm about to say, just in front of Rabbi Ginsburg. I will never forget the Rosh Hashiva makes. Muncie gets a lot of snow. A lot of snow. At Lel Shabbos, people are exhausted, especially people going to the city. My father left at 5 in the morning and got back at 7.38 in the evening. He had a seder with Rabbi Ginsburg's father, Rabbi Yisroel Ginsburg Shlita, for, I don't know, 20 years. And he would walk out of the house. There could be a blizzard. There could be seven feet of snow. He never missed the seder, which is a credit, of course, to the person he's having the seder with. I asked him, everybody asked him, where are you going? You couldn't even open the door. Couldn't get out the door. He said, if I don't show Messias Nefesh over here, so of course it's, uh, he claimed, it was easy to learn in a carpool or an air-conditioned car going to the city. Not so easy there either. He says, if this really means something to me, and he once told me, if I had a meeting with the CEO of the company and I had to walk there in the snow, I would walk there. So I hate to be very uh, plain, but think money when you think learning. Think of the $100 bill, Think of the business meeting you'd be schlepping to in the snow. That's how we have to, we live in America. This is the land of opportunity. Think of what you're missing. Put something before your eyes, and if it has to be green, then so be it. What would you do to close this deal? I know people who hop on planes and run through streets to close deals. With incredible speed, working up a sweat, heart palpitating, 
And I gave Musa to one of them. I said, you have to slow down. He says, I can't. I'm making too much money per hour. Unbelievable asmada. Unbelievable. I see it all the time. So that means they have it within them. But they have the question of what you love most. We're hours late, so I'm going to close with two Makaris. Gemara and Tainus has a similar Misa. I'm going to read to you the Misa from the Medjish Rabbah in Pashas Pikudai because there's some details which I think are important. Misa was extremely poor. He had nothing deep for Shabbos. <laughs> and he was desperate. He had nothing to bring home. So he went out to the field, the Medjish says, and he died with Akash Baruch And Akash Baruch dropped a diamond in Hit the ground, bent down, picked it up. It was enough for this Shabbos the next few months. Gave it into the uh, the jeweler, and he picked up chicken, meat, gefilte fish, challah, and he brought it home. He walked in, and his rabbitin said, uh, My hi, where's this from? And he said, Don't worry, it's a matana from Akash Baruch. She said, I'm not tasting anything unless you tell me she had suspicions. She didn't think he robbed the bank, of course. She had suspicions that maybe this was something min shamayim, like a loose char. So she said, I'm not eating until you tell me. He told her the story, and she said, I don't think this is for us. I'd like you to go ask your Rebbe. His Rebbe is Rabbi Danasi. He went to ask Rabbi Danasi. Rabbi Danasi told him to go home and tell his Rebbetzin that if she's worried about missing anything in Elam Haba, I will fill it in. If anything's missing on your shulchan, I will fill it in. Good deal. So he went home and told her, and she reacted. Interesting. Um, she was apparently the Aza Kenegda over here, the Kenegda part. Says, I'm coming with you this time. We're asking the Shaila again. Should be zeichar to marry such women. Men don't always. I'm not the but uh, women want to make sure that this is their shutzus over here. They want to make sure they're uh, they're getting good schar. So walking to Rebbe and she asked Rebbe Yehuda Nasi the God Lador Akasha. She said, My husband said in your name that you promised to fill in our table in Olam Haba. I have one question. Are you even going to see our table in Olam Haba? And I didn't answer with Maida. So I had to get it back. The problem is that the Gemara, Barbasra, cannot say the Farish. Everybody has their own Chupa in Gan Eden. Smashma, people are going to see what's going on in the next Chupa. And people are going to be burnt. It's going to be terrible. You're going to see what Yechavah did. You could have done so much more. You're going to have terrible Bezianus. So Rashbam over here says that you're going to have Bezianus and somebody bigger than you. You're going to say, oh, I wish I could have seen that Madrega. The Masha brought down the Sisechayim. He quotes the Masha that says that it could be somebody who is a bigger Tzaddik, smaller Tzaddik. That's not the point. You're going to see somebody who had Mesiris Nefesh in an area that you can't touch. The Pshad is as follows in the Medrash. She didn't necessarily tell Rabbi you can't see it. What she really told him is you can't see us and do anything, do anything about it. You can't see the particular schar we're going to get. Why is that? Which schar is she talking about? Rabbi Tarasi was the undisputed Gadladar far greater than Shema Chalapt and his Rebbetzin. They were made to that. There's one thing that they had Going for them, the Rabbi Danasi didn't. Rabbi Danasi was the wealthiest person in the world. So he had all his Nisyanis and he excelled in all of them. One sign he didn't have is not knowing where his next meal was coming from. She told Rabbi, he says, there's one thing you can't do. You can never give somebody and fill in somebody's need if you don't have it yourself. And you can't fill in this Chayel Gnolam Haba that we're going to have our Messiris Nefesh because this department, you don't have any Messiris Nefesh. So how can you possibly fill it in? An amazing idea. What does that mean to us? That means that everybody has their peckle and everybody has their difficulties. Everybody has their nesianis. Our job in life is to figure out what's difficult for us, not what's easy for us, and where we can push the agenda just a little bit more. Without the mikvah, without changing completely, that we're not going to do in our madrego. We're going to push a little bit more to get a little bit of mechatas on us that will affect the change and everything else to do and give a tremendous to And other people can't judge us on how many minutes, not how many minutes, how many chavutz. The question of how much did it hurt 
to push to learn those extra 20 minutes, that extra hour. And that's where the main schar is. It always bothered me. The famous Rashi and Chumash, which you all know. Yitzchak sent Esav, Yitzchak Avina sent Esav to get Tzedah, uh, so he gave him a bracha. Yitzchak sends Yaakov in, under protest. He's very nervous, he goes against his grain, he's lying, he's tricking him, but the mother is the mother, and she's a Nevi'ah, and he goes in. He also knows Esav is coming back at any moment because he's an ex- expert hunter, and he's sweating because if Esav comes back, he's going to kill him. So he goes in with a betachan, his mother said everything will be alright, so he goes in, what is he going to do? So what happens? We know from the Medrash that Esau was delayed unnaturally. Talk an expert hunter. Every time he caught something, a malach came and undid the net. This went on time after time after time. He's getting very frustrated. Finally, he just butchered a behemoth tamea, and he figured he'd bring that. Okay. So the malach delayed him. Baruch Hashem, Yaakov had a chance to get the bracha. So he's getting a nice long bracha. Tal Shemayim Mishmane Aretz. Pasuk described by Hikasher Kala Yitzchak Levarach as Yaakov. If you couldn't tell from the Pasuk, and you can, just look in Rashi. What is Ach Yatsa Yatsa? Means that he made it out by the skin of his teeth. What does that mean? So Rashi says, Yatsa Yatsa, Ze Yetzib Ze Ba. And the measure describes very vividly. There was like a double door. Esau walked in, Yaakov was still in the room. And he hid behind the door in the shadow hoping Esav wouldn't turn around. And Esav went further, and then he slipped out the door. We all know the Rashi is an obvious kasha. If a Baruch is doing Nisim and Aflodos anyway, the Malach should come and untie the thing. So why couldn't he delay him just another minute and a half? Why does Yaakovino have to have uh, palpitations? Why is that necessary to put him through such pressure? What for? You're doing a nay. If there was no nay, so the natural course was this. Derech so it's a close call. Hashem delayed it anyway a half hour. So why not delay it 31 minutes? Why is it not got to be so close? This is an important kasha with an important teretz. The teretz is, Hashem always does that to people who are zechelikach. So they could see that life is not the tremendous gain that you hope, the tremendous madrig you hope to jump to. Life is about another minute or two. <laughs> Life is about when you think you can't hold on, push the agenda another two minutes. When you think you're exhausted and you can't possibly anymore, at that point, I want another five minutes. When you think you possibly can't give any more stock off, so then you do whatever you think you do and add another $18. When you think you can't possibly do any more chesed, so don't stop there, push a little bit more. Whatever your breaking point is, you think you can't survive anymore, Hashem is telling you, I'm putting this pressure on you, Badafka, to show you you can't survive, you will survive, and you get a lot more schar, because the Pumsar Agra. And that is a lesson for B'nai Torah. Baruch Hashem, we don't have to speak about people doing avlas during the year, people doing shuvas for averas, chamuras. I, I, we would hope, and we, we're sure, that's not our agenda. Our agenda is the act of omission, what we could have done, what we should have done, where we could have stretched it. So Baruch Hashem, the community is all set up for this. You have the yeshiva, the kail, the shuls, the rabbanim, tamid chachamim, the chashuv of b'nei and the bracha to myself as I should be able to learn a little more, the a little more Torah, and uh, the bracha to the elim as they should be doing the same. And uh, with the extra schus and the extra mysterious nefesh minutes, hours, not days, not weeks, we'll be zeichet to a gemar chesima teiva. Okay. I pick on you. Thank you again for hosting and thank